0: Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Otay. Good morning. Welcome to breakfast and the class and the Sheva Brachot. We have with us today uh, a beautiful occasion to be able to add to our breakfast and class repertoire. Um, today is the uh, Sheva Brachot of Jack Dweck um, to Virginia uh, Oved, who recently got married and moved to uh, uh, the Upper East Side, and who led us in an incredible Shaharit where everyone is very, very pleased with because you got us out very, very quick. Hazaku <laughs> Baruch. They are going to uh, they're gonna love you here. Okay, the only thing is, they're going to love you so much you'll never be able to leave, so you'll always have to live up here with us. Uh, get settled, Virginia. You ain't going nowhere, okay? Hazaku <laughs> Baruch. Breakfast in the class is dedicating gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch for the birth of a baby boy, Zachary Lev, to Sheila and Jonathan Ne'eman, sponsored by Emmanuel Zara Simantov. Mabruk. Congratulations. Wow. We have such beautiful semachot also. Happy birthday to you. Breakfast in the class today is also in honor of Nathan Lowe's birthday this week for being such an incredible father and grandfather, uh, dedicated by his kids and his grandkids. We also appreciate you giving out um, every single day the cards for the kohanim, uh, to, uh, the prayer for during the kohanim. It's always very special to have you giving out the cards. Of course, I made the announcement right when he stepped out for one second. So we'll have to. Oh, there he is. Okay, perfect. I thought, you, I thought you were sitting over there. I was like, how did he miss? How did he miss his breakfast announcement? Okay. Dedicated also in loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra ala shalom. L'Ilui Nishmat Leah Bat'chan Philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world. And in loving memory of Irving Light, L'Ilui Nishmat Israel ben Anshel ala vashalom. Daniel Hasbani's grandfather, a Holocaust survivor who lived till 102. Sponsored by Daniel and Rafi Hasbani. Arichut yamim bishanim, that we also like to wish our birthday boy and our Khatan and Kala. Finally, the month of Cobra was dedicated in honor of Rachel Syed, donated by her children. And the week of Cobra was sponsored by David Yash, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, I want to focus on a Pasuk in this week's parasha. The Pasuk says, (inaudible) and the children agitated within her. We discussed this Pasuk yesterday in another light. The children agitated within her. They're kicking, they're running, they're uh, they're moving around. In fact, Rashi says Vayitroat comes from the source of the word Ritza, which means to run. And why did they run? Why were they jumping around, kicking inside of Rivka? Because every time she went past a house of uh, Torah, a house of study, Yaakov Mefarches, That's it. Yaakov is trying to get out. He wants to join the uh, the Beit Midrash program. He's up for Daf Yomi. Okay, brand new baby. He's already raring to go. On the other hand, when she would pass the bet exactly, like these two wonderful, uh, fantastic children that are here, who are every single day uh, one of the most uh, honored members of our Bet Knesset, fueled by dum-dum lollipops, brought by his dad. It's a magnificent uh, a treat every single day. And now uh, you've also brought your sister. Can you tell us what's your sister's name? Elani comes also now every day. Hazaku Baruch. We should be zochet to have them in the Be'ek as often as possible. Hazaku Baruch Hillel. For bringing down the average age of our Be'ek Knesset considerably. Uh, by every day. Hazaku Baruch. Okay. Now my friends. Um, what is interesting to me is that Yaakov is running to go study Torah. Esav is running as it says every time she passes by a Bet Abudazra, a place of idol worship ask the Mifershim a fantastic question. Why in the world is Yaakov running to leave the womb? He's running to study Torah, hold up. The Gemara tells us that in the stomach of a mother, a Jewish child is taught throughout the duration of their pregnancy. They're taught the entirety of the Torah. They have a study partner, a Malach, an angel, that reveals to them, that teaches them all of Torah. And then when they're born, the angel puts the finger on the, uh, what's it called? The fultrum, What? Foltrum maybe? And that creates a cleft in between the two parts of the lip and the child forgets the Torah that he learned. But during the time that the baby is in the, the womb, right? it's It's reviewing, it knows, literally, the Gemara says, all of the Torah. So the question is, Why is he, I understand Esav is desperate to get out. He has his favorite house of Avodah, Zarah, that he just passes, you know, the house of idol worship. He's desperate, get me out of this Shi'ur, this Malach, he keeps teaching me Torah. All I want to do is bow down to an idol. Help me! He's banging on the walls, okay, let me out. You can't get out, I understand. But why is Yaakov trying to run? What's the point? So someone once answered this question to me. They said, very interesting. You know why Yaakov can't wait to get out? Because he knows he's learned all the Torah. You know what's in the Torah? The Gemara that says that he's going to forget it. So he realized that in just a few minutes, he's going to forget everything. So he's like, you know what? If I get out, I could learn and not forget. So I don't want to be here, but I'm going to learn and forget. Okay, clever answer. I like the answer. However, I have an alternate answer. An answer that I think... Kind of encompasses a very different perspective of looking at what it is that we're doing. Uh, what it is it we're doing here in this world? You know, there's a question that they ask: when a pregnant woman walks into the room, do you have an obligation to stand up? Inside of her belly is a Talmid Chacham. He knows all the Torah. So maybe you should have to stand up every time a pregnant lady walks in the room. You better stand up if a pregnant lady walks in the room and she's your wife, by the way. That's a whole different story. But do you have an obligation to stand up? Halakha is no. Yes, sir. Today there are boats outside. Today there are boats outside? Come here. I want you to tell everybody. We have an announcement from one of... There are boats outside, everywhere. There are boats outside. What are they called, those boats? Where do they go? They're going to lake. The boats are going to the lake, okay. I just thought that was important for everyone to know. That is a PSA uh, uh, from our, uh, our strongest, uh, most regular attendee in the Beit HaKneset. Okay, um, now that we know that, um, I, wanna, I wanna ask you what I think is a powerful question. Why not? Why do you not have to stand up? Rav Gustman addressed this question. And do you know what he said? He said something so brilliant. But I think Nathan is about to match that brilliance. Is it possible that if a Torah scholar doesn't share his brilliance, then therefore one shouldn't have to stand? Wow, I never heard that before. But Nathan is saying, this guy's a Torah scholar, but he never taught a single class. He never shared his Torah with anybody. So maybe then he doesn't deserve, he doesn't deserve honor, he doesn't deserve someone to stand up. I don't think that that's true though. I don't think that that halakha is true. Yes, honey. Every time I go to my house I flip upside down. Every time, I just to let him run. When he goes to his house, he flips upside down. So, again, <laughs> Hazaku Baruch, very important. So wonderful. Thank you. I always love when you come and tell me things. So, thank you so much. My favorite thing he tells me is when he comes to Shul on Shabbat. Because his dad does not want him having candy all the time. But on Shabbat, at all. But on Shabbat, he allows him to come. So, my favorite moment. Was when he first walks up to me one Shabbat and goes, Rabbi, it's candy time. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was even giving me jazz hands. I don't. know. That might have just been in my head, but okay. All right, wonderful. Literally, he's the mascot of the Beit Knesset. Uh, we have so much chibah, uh, so much love uh, for your son Hillel Zaku Baruch, and his and his Brit Milah was here. It was the one of the first Brit Milahs in the Beit Knesset after I joined the, the Beta Knesset. So we look at it very, very fondly. Okay, so. That's an answer that Nathan is suggesting. Maybe you only have to stand for a Talmud Chacham that shares his Torah. I don't know. And that's not true, I don't think. I think that a Talmud Chacham, let's say you have one of the 36 great tzaddikim. He's hiding, he's learned. Do you have an obligation to stand for them? Even if they don't teach Torah? You do. Because they represent all the Torah that they've studied. But it's an interesting idea. I want to give you an answer that Rav Guzman gives. Rav Guzman says, of course it's a Talmud Chacham. But he's a Talmid Chacham who downloaded the full disk of Kol Torah Kula in his brain while he's chilling, while he's doing nothing, while there's no effort whatsoever. The Torah was not learned by him, it was transmitted to him. Torah that came to a person without any effort whatsoever. One could say it's not worthy of respect. One could say it's not worthy of someone standing up, and that's maybe what Rav Gustman says. But in a second, I want to teach you something that I think is far deeper uh, about this idea. So therefore, we don't have to stand up, because he didn't work hard for it. And the answer, therefore, to our question is very similar. Yaakov Avin is walking down the street. He's learning the Torah with the Malach. The Malach is teaching him all the Torah. He sees a Beit Midrash. He says to himself, that's where I want to go. I want to go over there, because there I could learn. I could do it for myself. I could put in the effort that's required in order to be able to study. So therefore, that's why he was trying to leave. But my friends, I want to take it for, for you one step deeper. One of the lessons that my rabbi taught, which I think is so powerful, is what happens in next week's parasha. In next week's parasha, we read about Yaakov Avinu, who is traveling uh, uh, you know, towards Charan. And as he goes, he comes to this mountain, he has this dream and in this dream he has a prophecy which is epic, okay? An epic prophecy where God promises him that he's gonna be with him and he's gonna protect him and he sees the angels on the ladder and they're going up and down. And the, the Yaakov is un, just awed, bowled over by this dream. And he wakes up and he says, "Ach,en I did not know that God was in this place. I did not know. Rashi says, because if I would have known, I would not have gone to sleep. If I would have known how holy the place is, I would not have gone to sleep. Now, someone like you or me reread that pasuk, and how do we translate it? We say, anokhi yadati." means, it's aib. You can't go to sleep in the shul. You can't go to sleep in the Beta HaMikdash. You can't do that. It's not right. Rashi says something very different. Rashi says, what does it mean, I, I, know, I did not know? if I would have known, I would not have slept. My rabbi asked, but if he would not have slept, then he would not have experienced this dream. All those blessings, all those berachot, Yaakov, you willing to turn your back on them? You willing to walk away? I wish I would have known, I wouldn't have slept. My rabbi said, because what Rashi is communicating is Yaakov said, if I would have known this place was Bet Elokim, was the house of God, was a place of spirituality, I would have earned that bracha. I would have dreamed while being awake. I would have prayed, I would have begged HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all those brachot. And what you earn with the work of your own hands cannot be compared. To something which is given to you. No matter how great the thing that is given to you is, it is a completely different animal if it's something that was handed to you and if it was something that you worked for. Is this clear? So Yaakov says, I wish I would have known. Uh, you would have lost the dream, true. But I would have prayed for it, I would have got it with my eyes wide open. Yaakov Avin was in the, mother, in the womb of his mother and he's learning Torah and by the way, he may learn even more Torah in there than he would learn outside. But the Torah that comes from effort is infinitely more valuable than the Torah that is just handed to you. My friends, I want to go one step further. I'd like to posit, I'd like to suggest perhaps that Torah that is not learned, that is not studied, that is not sweated or toiled over, Is in fact not Torah at all. How could I say that? How could I say that? Isn't that the case? We just saw Malach teaches him, kola Torah kula. He's teaching him Torah. Yes, it's true. What the Malach taught you was Torah. But what you learned was not Torah. Every morning we make a Berachah. What's the Berachah on the Berkata Torah? Anyone remember? That's the one that we say that at the Torah. I'm talking about in Berkota Torah. We make two Berachot. We make Asher What's the first one? Right? Al Divre Torah. What, is, what's the, what, what, what else do we say over there? Harevna, right? What else do we say in that Beracha? Anyone can send it when someone recite it? Say it from the beginning. Lomde techa Lishma. We ask God. That we should be the ones that learn Torah. That is markedly different than Asher Natan Lanu Torah to, Torah na, There's one Beracha that says, Thank you, God, for giving it to us. Thank you, God, for planting it in us. But we needed a whole other Beracha to talk about our part in that process, our learning of the Torah. Because <coughs> those two things, are one without the other, you don't have each other. If God doesn't give you Torah, you could learn it from today till tomorrow, you'll never get it. But if you don't learn Torah, then God could give it to you from today till tomorrow and you will never get it. The study of Torah is about the effort that a person puts in. In fact, that underpins the entire reason why people, Jews, non-Jews, were created to live in this world. The Nefesh HaHayim, the uh, uh, the Derech Hashem, both ask this question: Why did God create the universe in the first place? If God wanted to do good to human beings, He needed to put us in a place where we could have cholesterol. He needed to put us in a place where we could have IBS and gout. He needed to put us in a place where we could have uh, what's it called? Colds and corona. This is what He needed to do. Where somebody had to give you, make you wear a mask. That's what He needed. Why didn't God just take every human being? poof you into existence, stick you right in Gan Eden. And the answer that Chachamim bring is because that would be called Nahama de Kisufa, the bread of embarrassment. Bread that you'd been handed, that had been given to you. And at that stage, a person's enjoyment of that is just not complete. And the reason why the enjoyment is not complete is because it's not a part of you. It's something that was given to you, something external to you. There's no joy in that Sakhar. There's no joy in that Torah, my friends. So now I want to share with you something that I think is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Says the Pasuk, The children agitated within. Rashi says, what does it come from? It comes from the word for? Ritza, to run. They were running. This idea that Esav is running, Yaakov is running, we have its mirror at the end of a Masechet, when you finish an entire tractate of Gemara, we say, anu ratzin, vehem ratzin. We're defining that moment, the moment where two souls are running, the, the soul of a Jew, and, it, and it's running, and the soul of someone else, and it's running. What are we running for, and what are they running for? What gets Esav out of bed in the morning? What gets Yaakov out of bed in the morning? The tour writes that Yaakov was desperate to leave. You know why? Because Saarotav shel Esav, the hairs of Esav, dokrotbo. They were pricking him. What does that mean? the hairs of Esav were pricking Yaakov. How sharp were Esav's hairs? And in the womb. <laughs> my, my friends, listen to this. This is wild. Of course, on a simple level, Yaakov didn't like uh, the babies, doesn't like the hair he wants to leave. Fine. But what the tour is telling us is something incredible. What are the hairs of Esav? What do they represent? Why is he called Esav? Because he came out complete. He was Asui, he was done. He was fully baked, stick a fork in him, chalas, completely covered in hair. The hair of Esav represented that Esav was complete. He had no more room to grow, no more things to accomplish, nothing else to do. But Yaakov Avinu is Ishtam, Yoshevo Halim, he's bald. He studies Torah, what does he feel? Not yet done. He still needs to be Yoshevo Halim. He finishes the Torah in one place, he goes to Torah in another place. On the way to Haran, he does a minor detour, like you know, pulled off the highway. You know how we do it—pull off the highway, drive through. He does a drive-through yeshiva attendance of fourteen years. Fourteen? Ye- just can I just express it again? Fourteen years. I mean, I have waited online, but even Goyard's line is not that long. Fourteen years he waits, because Yaakov Avinu is a person who is perpetually. Yoshev or Halim, he's not done growing. There's more to do. Ritsa, he runs after goodness. You know why? Because Vayitrotzetsu, the root, is connected to running. But the root of running, Ritza, is connected to rotze. You run after what you want. And the fascinating thing is, Yaakov leaves the womb because he wants to work for it, because he wants to toil in it. But why does he want to toil in it? Because this is what he wants. He wants to grow. My friends, this idea is something which is a great secret for people, and especially, by the way, for Chatan and Kala. You could want to work hard. Most people in this world are seeking comfort. You think about, I mean, sometimes I imagine, you get on a plane, and the economy seat is $1,000, or $1,500 to Israel. Premium economy seat is $3,000, let's say. And it cracks me up sometimes. You're walking through the seats, and you see the guy in the premium economy, and then you see your seat in economy. I mean, better than I don't want to curse anybody, but you see your seat in economy if your seat is already in economy. If you're ready in first class, I don't want to downgrade you, You go, you see your seat in economy, and you realize there's two inches on either side of your elbow, on this side and on this side, okay? That's how much room you have in the seat. Okay? You go to premium economy, there's four inches. Four inches. You're paying for inches on either side of your apple. That's anuratzim. You have people, they'll pay you extra, they'll do miles. Now, it's one thing, you, you know, you need to sleep, you're a businessman, you need to get there refreshed, you're going to go lie down, you can't, I get it, I get it. But sometimes, what will we pay for a little bit of comfort? Because there's a price for comfort. The extra hours at work that we spend and don't spend with our family and don't spend for Torah, what do we spend them on? For most people, they're not, they're not working to survive. They, they, got, they, they got their fees covered. They're working above survival, a little bit more comfort. How often do I buy clothes? Do I go on vacations? Can I upgrade my car? But you didn't need to work for that. But you did. And you ran to do it. And you were happy to do it. Because you, you, know, you feel that the difference between two inches around your elbow and four inches is a big deal. <laughs> what motivates you? And my friends, when you find something that's worth working for, a funny thing happens. You don't mind the work. When you're doing something that you love, you don't mind the work because you love doing it. I'll tell you. A lot of times, I go on vacation, right? I go on vacation to get recover. Now, if I'm like sick and I need to recover and my voice needs to come back, it's one thing. But if I'm on vacation and I'm feeling good, my voice is healthy, I'm, I'm not exhausted, I go to a show and they ask me, oh, we know Rabbi, I know you're on vacation, it would be okay? Would you mind saying a couple words or i I'm already there. You wanna teach. You want to communicate to her. Could you, could you imagine someone says to an accountant, look, you're already here in Mexico. Would you mind, just with breakfast, could you do some accounting? <laughs> the guy says, give me the pencil, and he stabs you with it. <laughs> when, when there's something that you love, the work you put in for that thing is not hard. Yaakov works, 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 works. For Rachel. But he loves her so much, says the Pasuk. It was kiyami mahadim. It was short. It was a tiny amount of time for him. Because he loved her so much. You know, the Gemara tells us that when Hakadosh uh, Hu when, um, had to, what's it called, had to uh, make Shiduchim, it's difficult for him to bring two people together. You know why? It's as difficult for God to bring two people together as it is to split the sea. And everyone asks the same question it's hard for God to split the sea? He says, let there be light. There's light. All he needs to say is, let there be split the sea. Alexa, split the sea. That's all he needs to do. And the sea splits. So what does it mean that it's hard to do, Shiduchim, like it's hard, is anything hard for God? And there's many answers to this question I'd like to share with you today. One. You know what was hard for God in splitting the sea? Not taking the Jews out. But that in saving the Jews from the Egyptians, the Egyptians would drown. And the angels start singing Shirah, and God says, My creations are drowning in the ocean. And you're singing Shirah? Not, that's, not, that's not appropriate. But God needed to save the Jews, and the only way to save the Jews is if the Egyptians stopped running after them. God gave the Egyptians a chance. He took the Jews out without killing the Egyptians. But they couldn't control themselves. They ran after the Jews to get them back. And God says, okay, Adkan until here. Chalas, it's over. Zivugan shel adam, people coming together is hard. You know why? Because sometimes to do one thing, there's a cost to something else. If I want to save the Jews in this instance, the only way to do it is to have the Egyptians die. You know, it's a hard thing when you go from being a single person to being a married person. We have to put an effort for the other person. And you know what? Sometimes... You both want to go out to eat, you both go out to eat, you're both happy. but sometimes she wants to go one place, you want to go another place. majority of the times. But by the way, we're keeping him anonymous so his wife don't. What are you giving out dirt, dirty laundry? So Mr. Anonymous over here says the majority of the time. your wife tell you where she wants to go. Can I just get can someone get this guy a shovel? <laughs> I'm scared for this guy at a bus stop, by the way. He throws himself in front of the bus. Okay. Majority of the time. Not only that, by the way. Deciding where you want to send your kids to school. Deciding how much time. Deciding where to go on vacation. Deciding how long to go on vacation. Deciding when. Deciding where you want to go for the holidays. Deciding which parents you go to for which thing. It's hard. And you know what? A lot of those decisions, you want to give your wife, you want to give your husband what they want. But sometimes that comes at the expense of what you want. The reason why it's hard, so to speak, for God is because in order to give one of them something, the other one needs to be hurt. Sometimes to keep your mouth shut when your wife is criticizing you. Or by the way, your in-laws are criticizing you and you're keeping your mouth shut, not for them, but to maintain your relationship with your wife. Because you yell at your mother-in-law, you yelled at your wife, even though you keep telling her, no, it's not you, it's her. <laughs> she don't buy it. My friends, when you love something, no, you don't shy away from the work. You run towards the work. That's what we learned from Yaakov Avinu. He loved Torah so much, he was so desperate to perfect himself, to grow, being in the same room as someone who thinks that they're complete, that they're perfect, that they're covered in hair. The hairs of Esau are pricking Yaakov. He can't handle being in the same room as someone who thinks that they're done. Yaakov is saying to him, all I wanna do is leave. I wanna run, I wanna work, I wanna get, get on get mission. So my friends, how much work are you putting in to yourself? And you know what, a lot of times, People say, you know, very important, don't take on things that are too big. You familiar with that? You wanna grow, take on something small. I love it, great. Work with you, fantastic. Take on something small. If you're not sweating, it's not good enough. There's gotta be some sweat. You go to the gym, if you're not sweating, you're not building muscle, that's just how it is. If you're on a run and you're not sweating, it's not working. You're not pushing your body to that place. And I want to illustrate this. You start off, you're a fat jlub. Right? You need to start, you need to work out. You run two minutes, you're sweating. At that point, what's happening? Why are you sweating? Because you have an increased heart rate. Your heart is pumping, even though it's only two minutes. Do you know what happens after running for a month? You know what happens after you run for a month? Now you can run four minutes and six minutes and eight minutes, and you don't sweat till ten minutes. But remember, the benefit is cardiovascular. It's here. That means that the benefit starts when the heart is is working hard. So after eight minutes or ten minutes, that's when you're working, my friends. If your level of Torah is the same or less than it was when you were in high school, that's a sad thing. If you're not pushing the envelope. If your tzedakah doesn't hurt, that's a sad thing. Because it's not providing you the benefit. If your shalom it comes easily, there's more shalom bayit in your house to be had. You're not getting all of it. And you know what some people say, Rabbi, I, I want to work hard. It's just too easy. My wife makes it so easy. She's making it easy because you're difficult, honey. So she'd rather not have the fight, so she's giving in on everything. But that's not what she wants. There's more that you could do. We were created to sweat. We were created to run. So Yaakov, like those horses at the beginning of the race, where they have them locked in the pen, and they start pawing, they're kicking the door, they want to run, that as soon as those doors burst open, they're running full speed, that's Yaakov Avinu. Can we touch that? Can we feel that? Can we create that level of zirizut, of energy in our lives, in our self-growth, in our, uh, in our, in our mitzvot? If we can, then we're doing great things. Uh, we want to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu um, for sending us a Chatan and Kalah. We want to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for sending us a birthday boy. We want to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for sending us uh, a, a Brit Milah uh, for the, uh, the Neerman family, for Sheila and Jonathan, with Zachary Lev. But we also want to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for sending us a country where we're actually allowed to go and run to pray. And we're allowed to go and learn. And this is their day to celebrate. And we don't have, perhaps, the same uh, holiday structure as the non-Jews. But that does not mean that we are not grateful. And that does not mean that we do not do things to illustrate that we are grateful. How does one show gratitude to the country that they live in? To a country that provides them this freedom? How do you do it? I'll let you answer that question. But I'll give you the bare minimum. The bare minimum is you see a police officer. You see a soldier in uniform. You say thank you. We live in a crazy time where people who give their lives to bring protection and safety to the streets are treated like garbage, but not for us. You see a man or a woman in blue, you say thank you. That's part of being of thanksgiving. Politicians, okay, you wouldn't invest money with them, but you say thank you, they're part of the process. That gratitude is something that every Jew must have. And investing in the communities in which you live is something that you have to do. Someone asked me why we did the gift of warmth. Because part of being a Jew is investing in the communities that you live in. When we once came here penniless, we were afforded the opportunity to get on our feet. We have to turn that around and give it to other people that are in the same position. May Hashem bless us always to be from uh, on the giving side of that equation. May Hashem bless us always to have safety and security. May Hashem bless us always to never be afraid of the work that we need to put in for things that are beautiful and that we love. Uh, baruch ad-